This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. We have to look at the way our systems were designed to harm specific individuals, especially on the basis of race or other marginalized status. And what are we doing now that inadvertently continues that, even if we no longer have a war on drugs, or even Mm -hmm. if we're trying to learn from that, how are we changing our approaches to various things and and including hiring and law enforcement to compensate and, and adjust? Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. Today on Crossing Division, we are talking with John Cummings, who is a former Pierce County prosecutor, about some law enforcement issues that have been in the news lately, particularly in the News Tribune. Um, Today is July 27th, 2020, so we're uh, a little over uh, a week away. I guess we are almost exactly a week away from the primary election, and we'll talk about that a little bit too. So welcome, John. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Evelyn. Thank you for having me. So, so happy to have you on this. So before we get started, John, give me a little bit of background about you, both what you're doing now and what you did previously at the prosecutor's office. Sure. Um, Right now, I'm a trial attorney. I work at Gordon Thomas Honeywell in Tacoma. Um, I deal with litigation of all kinds, but primarily employment law, discrimination, LGBTQ rights, and medical malpractice. But I do a lot of different kinds of trial work. It's just kind of focused around that. And prior to that, I was a deputy prosecuting attorney at the Pierce County Prosecutor's Office for 11 years as an attorney. Um, And I had worked in pretty much not every unit, but most of the units. And I've handled just about every kind of crime uh, that we prosecuted there. Mm -hmm. So I've done murder cases, special assault cases, domestic violence cases, misdemeanors and felonies. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to talk about your thoughts on sort of law enforcement in Pierce County and the sheriff's office. But I wanted to start by focusing in on two articles that were recently in the News Tribune regarding the special investigations unit at the, at the uh, Pierce County Sheriff's Office. And um, the reason these two stories were of interest to me was because one of the individuals in the story is Cindy Fajardo, who is running for sheriff. Um, mm-hmm. But the reason I wanted to get someone in with your background, John, to talk about this was that the issue in the story is that um, a number of members of this unit that was focused on drug crimes is being investigated for questions about how their processes were working, whether there were um, issues, I think, with how they were handling confidential informants and things like that. And as a result of that investigation, the Pierce County Prosecutor's Office has put a number of them, including Ms. Ferrardo, on a, an impeachment list, a witness impeachment list. And as I've gone to various discussions over the last month about in political endorsements and political meetings of people trying to figure out who, who to endorse for the sheriff's race, this has come up as a real question. That is the average person, myself included, since I've never done criminal law, we really don't understand what it means to be on this impeachment list, whether it's significant. And so tell me a little bit about what's been going on, if you could. Yeah, I think it's easy to have a sort of a confusion there about what the list 
is and every prosecutor's office handles it a little bit differently and what what the requirements are um, that require prosecutors to keep certain lists or keep certain databases of information around. Um, and I think it's really important to start off and say that the, the list is usually called something like a potential impeachment list. Right, right. That makes sense. And I think that's important because there are prosecutors are required to put someone on that list in certain circumstances if they keep a list or 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 if they maintain this information. Um, but it doesn't necessarily indicate that a person has done something wrong. It, they may have, but they mm -hmm. may not have as well. Mm -hmm. And I think there are. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so let's back up a second and talk about impeachment. And this is my sort of yeah. basic trial attorney understanding. So. When we talk about impeachment, and, and it, it's a little confusing because that's a big word that we use with regard to the president. Um, right. But in trial work, what that means is, let's suppose I am, a, I am a witness to something, and I'm on the stand, and I'm talking about, um, well, let's say, take some of my, back, my previous work in campaign finance. And I say, you know, oh, well, you know, I've worked on hundreds of these cases, and here's what I know, and, you know, I'm the expert, you should believe me. Well, the opposing counsel may then come up and say, well, Ms. Lopez, isn't it true that in fact, you know, you were only in that position for a short period of time? Or isn't it true that you've lost every single case that you've ever tried? Or, which is not true. But, you know, things, <laughs> things that go to the issue of whether a jury should believe me, how much credibility they should place on me. And that process of sort of poking at and questioning the witness's credibility is called impeachment. So, Having right. a file on someone for potential impeachment, I think, means having a file on things that are, um, let's say, um, potentially problematic in that person's background. It could be, you know, they've been reprimanded in the past. Maybe something else has gone on. But is that how that works in a prosecutor's office? So it's a little bit different because you actually have about three different requirements that are all coming together and all using similar but different terms. And that's why I think it's really easy for the confusion to come about, right? So we have constitutional requirements, ethical requirements, and requirements imposed by court rule. And those are three different requirements that a prosecutor faced with what we're calling potential impeachment evidence would have to deal with. And so for example, the constitutional requirement is, there's a case called Brady versus Maryland. And that basically said that a prosecutor has to turn over evidence that is favorable to the accused person and that is also material to either guilt or punishment. And material means that it's exculpatory, meaning it tends to show the person's not guilty and that it's not available by some other means, mm -hmm. right? And so that's what it means. So that's sort of the broadest requirement, those Brady requirements. Um, but, and, and a lot of information would not fall under that. Right. Because let's just say it's unfavorable information about an officer, mm -hmm. but it doesn't actually show that the person that the officer is an unreliable witness or deceitful or anything like that. That might not fall under materiality within what Brady's required. So it might not be required under the Constitution. But then there's two other requirements that are that are really requirement really specific in Washington. And those are the ethical and court rule requirements. And those requirements actually require that the person, uh, that a prosecutor has to hand over information that tends to negate the guilt of the accused or mitigates the offense. So it brings in a lot bigger swath of information that, that 
may not even be the the prosecutor may not even be sure is true, mm. right? And they still have to turn it over, even if it tends to negate the guilt of the accused or mitigates the offense. So a lot of times um, a, a prosecutor might be required to reveal information to the defense attorney that required both ethically and by Washington court rule to reveal information, even if the prosecutor does not know whether or not it's true or has not yet determined that it's true. And the reason is that it, it, it implicates and, and touches upon a defendant's right to a fair trial. So sometimes a prosecutor might have to add someone to a list or include information about that law enforcement officer and call it potential impeachment evidence. And that's why I kind of focused on that potential word, mm -hmm. just because that information tends to negate the guilt of the accused. Okay. So that is actually kind of a, I would say, kind of a low threshold in terms of, you know, yeah. it seems like a lot of stuff could fit in that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's true. That sounds like it's kind of a low threshold for what could potentially get someone onto this uh, potential impeachment list. It can be. Yeah. Depend on, depending on the facts of what's going on, it can be a pretty low threshold. Mm -hmm. In this case, in the News Tribune articles, uh, it sounds like what has gotten these individuals onto the list is that they are being investigated. Um, is that is that what would normally put someone on the potential impeachment list, or is that kind of a judgment call? It's going to be a judgment call, and I don't have all of the facts of what's going on with those specific instances, mm -hmm. um, but it, it's going to be uh, information that is, I'm going to rephrase that answer. It's going to be a judgment call. I don't have all the information about what's going on specifically with, with the incidents that are being investigated with the News Tribune. The list is maintained by the prosecutor's office, and the information is information that tends to be relevant to potential impeachment that's within the knowledge of the prosecution team. So that the, the what gets someone on that list is if it's information within the knowledge or material within the possession of the prosecutor or their staff or another deputy prosecuting attorney. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be, again, information that just tends to... Um, to be impeachment evidence, even if the prosecuting attorney may not yet know um, if those facts are true. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, it seems like the um, individuals in the sheriff's office have come back. I don't know how to really qualify it, but I would say in a, in a fairly uh, aggressive manner, they have an attorney. And so they've um, pushed back and put information out there that you know has now gone to the News Tribune about this dispute. Is that, in your experience, is that a fairly normal thing to happen, or, or does that seem to be a little more um, pushback than you would normally think of? It can happen. It can absolutely happen. I have seen it happen before, um, so I, I wouldn't say that it's unusual or, okay. or unheard of. Good. So as a, as a voter or someone who's looking at the sheriff's race, um, should we factor in this fact of being placed on the potential impeachment list or should we just think, you know, that's a pretty normal part of the job. That isn't really something to factor in. I, I think what it is, is, and this always comes back to, for me, what we should do with all elected officials is we should reach out to them and get their read on what, what it is. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, I haven't spoken to, um, uh, uh, Ms. Fajardo on this matter. I haven't spoken to any of the mm -hmm. any of the candidates on this matter, um, but I would say that um, it's certainly something an, uh, a a voter can look into and should ask any candidate about 
any aspect of their service. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's really important for candidates to be accessible and, and to talk about those matters. But I think it, it, it bears, I think it's important for, for voters to, to ask for that information and look into the information and, and not necessarily uh, make any conclusions from, from the fact that someone's on a particular list. Mm -hmm. But I think it is something voters can look into and should have an obligation to look into. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the reasons I ask too, is that for the sheriff's race, so Pierce County Sheriff, um, we have an open um, campaign for that position for the first time in many, many, many years. Uh, it, the, the position was uh, elected years in the past and then it became um, an appointed position and then it became an elected position. But uh, Paul Pastor has been in the position for you know, a long time and continually was reelected. So he is now retiring and we have four people running for that race. And it's just turning into a real uh, enigma on how to trigger, yeah. how to figure out how to vote for this um, race. And luckily, you know, we've got a primary that's coming up. Um, and so that will help sort some things out. But I would say this race more than any other I've seen in recent memory, it just has people stumped. Um, nobody really knows mm -hmm. what to do. Um, there's frequently on social media posts asking for people's input. Um, what kind of, do you have any advice on what people should do and try to figure it out how, how to vote? Yeah, that's such a good question because as you said, this is, you, you know, you have a pretty broad field and you have a lot of people and people want to know how to vote for, mm -hmm. for, um, the sheriff. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, and this is, you know, my, my personal belief about how we should be choosing elected officials is part of it. Right. But I think there are four aspects that are think really important. One is experience. I think law enforcement experience is really um, necessary because law enforcement officers are asked to make really difficult decisions on the fly all the time and in ways that balance the Constitution against um, and, and sometimes against public safety. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to handle both those things in times that are really scary, right? Really scary for law enforcement officers. And so you want them, you want someone to lead a department that understands those aspects. So that's the first thing I think is really important is understanding the experience of actually being a law enforcement officer. The next thing that's always really high on my list, and I think more important than most things, and especially true given the climate we have right now, is an understanding of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. That's always going to be, I think, really key. Um, that's true of policing always. It's always going to be true of policing in the United States, right? Um, and just given the history of of where of 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 um, of the United States when it comes to equity, diversity, inclusion, especially racial justice issues. So I think it's important for um, candidates to be asked and and held accountable to that second thing. So experience, equity, diversity, inclusion, and then the third thing I think is um, innovation, mm -hmm. right? Policing is going to be changing, I think, in the next decade, and we need to hear someone who can balance experience and understanding what the requirements of law enforcement currently are with innovation and the ability to say, you know, how do we bring that into the future in a way that protects us, but all, but also protects our rights, mm -hmm. you know? And so it does that in that, in that way. And then the last thing I've said this a couple of times, um, candidates who are accountable and accessible. Mm -hmm. so if you can get to them as a voter and actually hear what they have to say, they're accessible that's really, really key. So I think those are the four things for me that are really important. Experience, 
equity, diversity, and inclusion, innovation, and being accountable and accessible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things we have, we have, so we have two individuals running who have significant time in the office. Ed Troyer has been there pretty much his mm-hmm. whole career, and he's 58 now. Um, Cindy Fajardo, who's been here, been with the office 30 plus years as well. So really, you know, her entire career as well. She's uh, right. 61. Uh, and then Doug Richardson, who's 65, has been uh, very active in local politics. He's currently on the county council, has been for um, just about eight years. Before that, he was um, a, a um, political leader in the city of Lakewood and and also had a long and I, and I think a very, very successful military career. I think he's a brigadier general. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the youngest uh, person running is Darren Harris, who's 48. He is a... Um, a black man who has uh, both good law enforcement experience in other states in Detroit, and mm. then is currently now working, I think, in law enforcement in the military, I think the military police. So, you know, there's a lot of variety there. Um, yeah. and, and yet, I don't think we really feel like we know very much about these people. Yeah, I mean, I've the uh, the two I've worked closest with are Ed Troyer and Doug Richardson. Um, mm-hmm. Just in my time uh, when I was deputy prosecuting attorney, um, and I've enjoyed I enjoy both of them. I really enjoy ta- talking with them. Um, but you're right that I haven't worked with um, Officer Fajardo, mm-hmm. um, and forgive me I, I, if I, I don't know her current ranks. Otherwise, I would use it yes. in respect. I'm sorry, I just don't know her current rank. We haven't worked together very closely, um, and then um, and then. Uh, uh, Mr. Harris, I don't, I, again, I would use his rank if yeah. I had it. I haven't met him either. Mm-hmm. And so I agree with you. There's this really, it's sort of um, the two I know, I really respect and, and, and think mm-hmm. are great um, candidates and was thrilled to see them run. And the other two, I don't, I, I, I can't, I don't feel I can speak to either mm-hmm. because I do, I agree. I feel like it's difficult sometimes to actually have made that connection or to mm-hmm. have, to have that accessibility and I think for me, that's why I kept coming back to the, the thing where I want them to be accessible. I want people to be accessible to us is so we can ask them these hard questions and say, tell us what's going on with this um, particular uh, story or tell us what your, your, your view on equity, diversity, inclusion is. Where do you see law enforcement going? Um, I think is really important for us to hear. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I share, I wish I, I wish I could answer that in a way that gave us the answer, right? Yeah. I wish I knew that, right? But yeah, but those, I can only speak to the two I've worked with who I have a lot of respect for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting situation. You know, so we have, you can, if um, coming from inside the organization is important to you as a voter, we have two people who've been inside for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. If you would like to see someone who is not a long-term member of that organization, and I have to say, I vacillate back and forth on that question. You know, do I, do I want someone who really knows how the system works? That can be very beneficial. Do I want someone who's going to not be um, restricted by this is the only thing I know, you know, who has had experience with other organizations who might bring that knowledge in? I think they're both valid. So, so you've got that choice and then you've got, um, yeah, and I don't know anybody's rank ever anyway, but uh, Ms. Fajardo, a woman, you've got Darren Harris, uh, who is uh, who is younger and who is black. You know, so they sort of bring some diversity into the into the mix. But um, yeah, and, and it's interesting because I, I have talked to people who've said, you know, I'm, I'm going to vote for Harris because I want 
that perspective to come in and he's got a, a, a much more different background and, you know, he's sure to bring in changes. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I've, you know, heard people say, you know, they really like Ed Troyer. He's got a, a good public persona and mm-hmm. um, they feel that he understands the needs of the local area. Um, so it's, it's very hard to know. Um, what do you think, what do you think are some of the, um, I'll say either issues or problems or, you know, what, what, based on what you know, and I, and I know it's not necessarily, you know, super recent, but from what you know of how the sheriff's office operates, are there areas that you would like to see get more attention, uh, become more of a focus? I think that areas of equity and diversity and inclusion in law enforcement, really, I come, I keep returning to it because it is so important. Mm -hmm. I really think that that is uh, something that, at the sheriff's department, but not just at the sheriff's department, um, in policing in general, we really need to have a much stronger focus on equity, diversity, and inclusion. That means hearing from a broader spectrum of people. That means um, really, uh, really connecting to parts of our community that maybe we aren't connecting to before. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that, uh, and well, and so it's really important to me that we continue to proceed. And that's why it's important to me that we have someone in there that understands how things work mm-hmm. and also can innovate on not being bound by how they work, but understanding how they work in order to see, to know what can be fixed, what can be changed, what can be altered. I think that's, what's really important to me um, because, and I, and going back to that experience thing, law enforcement is a difficult job. It is mm-hmm. a complicated job. Um, what I've often noticed when I was a prosecutor is that there are a lot of hurdles um, and and I'm not arguing with the hurdles. The hurdles make good sense to protect mm-hmm. people and keep them safe, both in their person and in their rights, um, that a law enforcement officer has to clear before it ever even gets to an attorney's review. And that's really important that they clear all of those. It's really important that someone have the experience necessary to be able to teach officers, lead officers in doing those things so that we don't lose those protections that currently exist, but then also have innovation so that they can they can see how we can improve upon and grow mm-hmm. that that equity diversity inclusion mm-hmm. and I think that for me it's not a either or it's a both and you have mm-hmm. to have both of those things and you can and for me that's going to be how I I make that's how I fill up how I'm going to end up filling out my ballot mm-hmm. I'm going to look at the candidate that, that can be that has the experience and also the ability to innovate and is ultimately accessible to this community in a way that hears my voice. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. You know, one of the things I know over the years that um, law enforcement and I and I don't specifically mean um, the Pierce County Sheriff's Office. I think this is very true in police departments and and at the state patrol also. What they have said is that um, they have a lot of trouble recruiting people with uh, diverse backgrounds because of the criteria that they have in place to meet. You know, for a long time, Mm -hmm. and I think this has changed in in a number of offices they had. The criteria where if you had um, a conviction in your past, even if it, even if it was you know you were young and it was a you know, let's say m- possession of marijuana or something when that was illegal, that would mean you couldn't even apply. They would not even consider you. Right. Um, there were also were um, strength and stamina requirements that made it difficult for people who weren't you know tall and burly physiqued to be able to make the cut. And so I, I think that there has been some recognition that they may have set their own problems 
through some of their criteria because, you know, realistically, someone who has, uh, you know, some minor um, illegal activity in their past, depending on what their more recent past is, that may not be relevant. And, you know, um, someone who is, you know, big and strong, you know, that may not ever be required. You know, you may need someone who is good at empathy and talking to people or, you know, figuring out problems. So maybe that will help some of it, but I, I don't, I don't have a sense as to, I I think that, I think that a couple of the candidates, I think um, Cindy Fajardo did talk quite a bit about that when she interviewed with the Pierce County Democrats, but I'm, I'm not sure if the others um, had made that a focus. And I didn't see any of the, any of their Mm -hmm. comments that you're referring to, but I agree with you about that. And this may be even broader than law enforcement, just Mm -hmm. generally, um, we we as people have to be really we always have to revise what we think about people who've been convicted of a crime, I think. Yeah. Right. There are certain crimes that that are that are different than other crimes. And especially when I think the one you, you brought up was um, possession of marijuana mm-hmm. when now it's legal. Right. Mm-hmm. And so these ideas that certain things should disqualify somebody from credit or employment or housing are really problematic, especially when we look at you know, in the nineties and war on drugs and the way we now see that that was incredibly racially charged and uh, directed at black communities specifically Mm -hmm. in intent and in uh, implementation. And I'm not talking specifically here. I'm talking across the United States. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when we look at that, if we, I think you, you bring up a really good point, Evelyn, of we have to look at the way our systems were designed to harm specific individuals, especially on the basis of race or other marginalized status. And what are we doing now that inadvertently continues that, even if we no longer have a war on drugs, or even Mm -hmm. if we're trying to learn from that, how are we changing our approaches to various things and and including hiring and law enforcement to compensate and and adjust Mm -hmm. to those problematic issues that we've now recognized? I agree. I think that's really important. It's really important. I think it is too, and I, I and I'll tell you. I think that there is recognition of the fact that you know how you look, where you live, that is going to have a much a higher impact or a much higher percentage in whether you get you know pulled over or questioned or arrested. You know, at every point in the process when you're dealing with law enforcement, you know who gets, you know who's driving a car with their back tail light out. If it's me. If anyone pulls me over at all, they probably tell me, ma'am, your back tail light is out. You need to get that fixed. You know, it's just a different experience. If, if I do something wrong, I'm more likely to get a warning. If I do something really wrong, let's say I'm drunk driving, I'm probably going to get a second chance. If I go, you know, I may not get charged. I may not, you know, I may not get arrested in the first place. I may not get charged. I may be given every opportunity to correct that. And that's simply not the same opportunities that someone else who's of a different race would get. And, you know, once you're mindful of that, then you have to look at, well, then, so everyone who has a record, and I don't mean to say that some people are not engaging in some really dangerous activities. That is true, right. too. But yeah. for for a lot of people, especially if they have a very limited record, that's as indicative of bad luck and circumstance as it is of wrongdoing. You know, a lot of people do things wrong you're much more likely to get caught and convicted and, you know, with a criminal record, if you have darker skin, if you're black, if you're male, certainly rather than female, 
Um, these are just truths. So yeah, I think that does make it difficult um, and important for us to correct. But um, I don't know. It's it, it seems yeah. to be very slow to be changing. Well, and I think part of it is that recognition. You mentioned likelihood of being stopped or pulled over or mm -hmm. having the police called on you to begin with, right? right. I think that it's. I right. think one thing that is easy for me. I'm not a law enforcement officer, right? Mm -hmm. So it's easy for me to only say to point at. Um, a particular police officer and I don't I think the, I've worked with a lot of police officers and the vast majority um uh, nearly every officer I've worked with wants to do the right thing is trying to do the right thing for me I think what's productive is looking in the ways I as a white male am colluding in and contributing to racist systems personally right mm -hmm. so am I calling some the police on someone and more likely to call the police on someone right because of the color of their skin right. or am I more suspicious of somebody who is black and less forgiving and more gracious to someone who is white. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that, I think you're right that it's, I think it's going to be slow to change, but I think it's going to be slower to change if we don't look at our own yeah. illusion yeah. and our own activities and say, what am I John Cummings doing that needs to be better mm -hmm. when it comes to that? That's what I need to be doing mm -hmm. um, too. Yeah. And, and I think that's a, that's a kind of a, a little bit of a challenging place to get to if you are, you know, white and middle-aged. So I'm talking about myself. I can remember mm -hmm. talking to Nate Bowling about this and, and how he was saying, you know, if, if something happened in his neighborhood, in his home, he would be very unlikely to call 911, call law enforcement, because he'd be afraid that he would be likely to end up dead rather than, you know, anyone who was maybe trying to break into his house. And that was kind of a revelation to me because I have always looked at, you know, the police are there to protect me. And I, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have previously ever thought about, should I call 911 or should I call if I'm concerned about something? And a lot of these recent events have made me reevaluate that and think through, you know, when is law enforcement necessary? You know, I, I don't think it's a good idea now ever to call law enforcement for people who are being rowdy or loud or annoying. Um, because that's not dangerous. I mean, I think now I would say I would only call law enforcement if I thought there was something dangerous happening and someone could get seriously hurt. Um, yeah, it changed. It, it, this this whole dialogue has uh, changed a lot of things. Yeah, and I think you know, for me, I I still think people should call nine one one to to be safe, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're if you're hurt, if you're being threatened, if you're, uh, I think it's really important to call nine one one. But I also understand, and I also understand the the the, you know, I'm a gay man. Right. And for a long time, uh, and still, you know, people in my community sometimes don't want to call 911 because they don't want to end up in a police report, right? Mm -hmm. and, and because it might out somebody or there's, that's a real, mm -hmm. real um, concern for some individuals. And at a time in my life would have been a huge concern for me too. Yeah. Right. So I'm, because I'm always changing and growing. Right. And so, that's absolutely, I, I agree. I think it's interesting. We have to look at the various ways things have, um, the various ways that these systems interact with our own identities. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I will say, I have, when I worked as long, with law enforcement, I was always really well taken care of as, uh, uh, and really well respected as a gay person and really well supported with every law enforcement officer I worked with. Um, and so it's interesting because they can, those, that concern and that reality are both true, right? It's a paradox um, of what's of what's really there. Yeah. Well, let's take a short break here and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about 
maybe what the individual voter can try to do to get get the information that we've been talking about. Sounds good. Hi, this is Nate Bowling, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Nerd Farmer, and proud Alaska Airlines MVP. You know I love Alaska Airlines, but it's not just me. Recently, Condé Nast Traveler named Alaska the best U.S. airline, and this is the second year in a row. So for the last two years, a travel magazine, folks who should know, had given top marks to Alaska Airlines. What do you think put Alaska over the top? In-flight messaging or movies on your phone on select flights? The outstanding customer service? The stellar mileage program where you actually get rewarded for the miles you fly, not just dollars you spend? My vote? The signature fruit and cheese platter and the Northwest craft beers. For your next trip, don't even visit the travel sites. Just skip them and go to alaskaair.com and make your flight with the best U.S. airline. Thank you, Alaska, for your sponsorship of Channel 253 and congratulations. Well, we're back. Uh, Before I continue talking with John Cummings, I want to give a brief promo for Channel 253. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you are a member of Channel 253. But if you're not, please consider joining. It is $4 a month or $40 a year. And it is... um, allows us to do a lot more things in our community to reach out and tell Tacoma and Pierce County stories. Uh, times are changing, things are changing fast, and sometimes this is a good way of kind of filling in what the news media isn't quite covering. So please consider supporting our organization. So John, as I said before we took a break, how, how would you suggest a voter goes about trying to find information about these uh, sheriff candidates or any candidates, really? Because I think you're absolutely right. I think there are certain questions that need to be asked, and then the answers need to be kind of carefully listened to. Um, but it's always hard to get access to candidates, especially, <coughs> excuse me, especially right now with everything being partially locked down or not safe for public gatherings. Um, you know, I'm going to try, maybe, I haven't decided yet to do, try, see if I can do some virtual forums uh, after the primary when we're down to two candidates per position. Mm-hmm. But um, we'll see if campaigns want to do that or not. But what, what would you suggest that your, you know, your voter who's trying to gather information, trying to figure out who to vote for, what kinds of things do you think they should do? Well, I think a couple things. One is, I think it's really, I just want to um, give kudos to you for the programming you do. The work you do to keep uh, Pierce County informed is so important. Listening to podcasts like this and getting an understanding, sort of a base knowledge of what is, for example, a potential impeachment list. Why does it exist? Mm -hmm. uh, Help me to understand is so essential in order to allow voters to become informed in order to actually um, understand what questions to ask in sort of a specialized area of law. So first of all, thank you. This is a huge service you do for our community. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, and so I think that would be the first one is to really listen to programs like yours that help people understand and clarify those questions. And then the second one is to really think about what are the questions that they want to have answered from these candidates. Sit down and crystallize it um, for a minute. Um, why, you know, if, if I'm asking someone who's on that list, why are you on this list, right? Tell me what I should know about this. And to really listen with an open mind, right? To really listen to hear them. As far as getting access to those campaign candidates, I've managed a few campaigns uh, locally. Mm-hmm. I will say that right now, I've talked to a few friends who are various uh, consultants in the community. It is weird, from what I understand, to run a campaign right now mm-hmm. in the middle of COVID-19 with physical distancing and you can't have too many people in the same room. 
So reaching out to these candidates and these campaigns is really important. They want to make contact with people. It's important to reach out to them and say, hey, I have a question. And to really put your question in that email or reach out and say, I'd like to, to schedule a forum like you're saying you'd like mm -hmm. to do. Candidates are looking for ways right now to connect with people. And if you can gather a group of people and connect with them, I think that's going to create that, that reason for the candidate to sort of to, to go out and reach. What I remember when I was managed a number of campaigns, the thing you always want to do is make sure you gather a bunch of people for any event. So mm -hmm. if a person or a group having these conversations, getting groups together and talking and saying, hey, the five of us, 10 of us, 20 of us have these ideas and we might want to schedule a Zoom meeting with a candidate or a lunchtime meeting with a candidate, candidates are always looking for that. And I think it's really important to have that and to know ahead of time what questions you're going to ask that are really those key questions mm -hmm. um, as a group of people. And then I would say if you're having trouble reaching a candidate, um, one, candidates should be accessible, right? right. So that, that, that right there, I think, is not a great sign if a candidate's not mm -hmm. accessible. But the other thing is that, you know, talk to local, if you're a member of the Republican or Democratic Party, talk to your local party leaders and say, we need to hear from these candidates. I want to hear from these candidates. Um, and I know that, for example, um, local Democratic organizations I, I, I've worked with have really focused on bringing in as many candidates as they can to get as much information as they can. And I'm sure Republican organizations are doing a similar thing. So those would be my tips. Those would be my thoughts. Do you think those are, do you think I've left anything out? I mean, no, I know I you're really thoughtful about this too. I think those are really good tips. I mean, actually, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, you're right. I think what, I think what we're, I think the trap that we've fallen into is that during, you know, non-pandemic times, we have opportunities to put questions forward yeah. or see something about these candidates. And I think maybe that is part of the problem that we're experiencing right now, but you're right. I mean, I, ha I have not seen a situation where if you contacted the campaign and sent an email and said, I have a question for candidate X, can you please let me know the following three things? I mean, keep it short, right. you know, don't have like, you know, here's your list of 20 questions, Just but three things that I'd like to know. Right. Um, I'll bet they would answer. And so what I'm thinking as we're talking is like, I think I could gather a few questions from people off of social media, <clears throat> submit them to the candidates and then put that information back out again. And I think I yep. will. Um, there's not a whole lot of time left, but I know a lot of people are still trying to figure out who to vote for. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good suggestion, John. I think I will take that suggestion myself and see what I can find out. Um, and I would just reiterate, I would, I don't see, I see um, the issues of COVID-19 mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm not saying COVID-19 is great. I think it's a terrible thing to have a right. pandemic, but I think one opportunity it presents to voters is that candidates really want that connection and all of the typical ways that they make that connection are gone. Mm -hmm. So I think this is really an opportunity for voters to reach out to candidates and say, Hey, this, this 20 to 30 person group of people and I got together and talked about it. We have these questions. We want to do a forum with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really would imagine that a lot of candidates are very hungry for that opportunity to get out there. Yeah, I would think so too. I know that the um, Pierce County Democrats did a Zoom endorsement meeting with the candidates for a sheriff. And in the end, they, they did not endorse anyone. I'm sure they will uh, when it mm -hmm. comes down to the general election, but I think it was too hard to parse through 
all of the different issues for the primary. And, you know, interestingly, the TNT, the News Tribune sort of came to the same conclusion. Um, they mm-hmm. weren't able to make an endorsement, but I'm sure they will have one by the time the general uh, election comes around. Um, other than this, John, I mean, and, and this is, I know, a little bit out of, out of the blue, but we have a lot of um, public discussion right now about policing and about law enforcement in our communities. Um, do you think, I've always felt that the that Tacoma and Pierce County was doing a pretty good job. I'm kind of revising that because of some of the incidents that I just previously hadn't been aware of, um, where in both cases or in all cases, young men of color have died in custody. But do you think there's some things that Tacoma and Pierce County need to do to really, you know, be better to kind of stay, try to stay ahead of these uh, emerging police um, conduct issues rather than, you know, always playing catch up? That's a really great question. Yeah, I think not to sound like a broken record, but Mm -hmm making a real commitment to equity, diversity, and inclusion as an organization, each police force, each sheriff's department, each prosecutor's office, each public defender's office, right? Mm -hmm. Every office that touches the criminal justice system needs to make a true commitment to equity, diversity, and inclusion. And what that means is um, getting some outside help, usually, you know, having, bringing in consultants and making a real commitment having difficult conversations, both among the leadership in those organizations and the rank and file in those organizations. Mm -hmm. Those conversations are going to be really uncomfortable, right? And so Mm -hmm. I think that when you have a system designed to make people feel safe, sometimes it's difficult. It becomes a sort of psychological barrier um, to to want to have uncomfortable conversations Mm -hmm. because uncomfortable conversations don't feel safe. Right. human nature, right? We right. don't feel safe when we're uncomfortable. Um, every single one of those organizations in our community needs to make that commitment. Mm-hmm. They need to really, truly embrace equity, diversity, inclusion, and make a commitment that when it gets uncomfortable, then we're not going to shy away from it. Yeah. And I will say that as a white person in the Pacific Northwest, um, I would say to my fellow white people in the Pacific Northwest, we all need to be doing that hard work. And that may not sound like a criminal justice issue. I believe 100% in my soul, it really is a criminal justice issue for me, who's no longer part of that system, to do my own personal work on anti-racism work mm-hmm. is essential. It is essential. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Because I think that, you know, some of these incidents, I think, happen because, you know, emotions run high when you're in the middle of an arrest scenario. Um, But I do think that if you have, um, and it's not just sit in a room and get training, it's more, you know, you, it is an uncomfortable process of confronting your own internal racism, your own internal biases, the things that you may have grown up with that you don't even question that will, Mm -hmm. that will color your day in and day out interactions with people. I mean, it, but the more aware you can become of sort of your own triggers, um, mm-hmm. the more likely you are to avoid getting into um, a confrontation where you are uh, reactive and um, lose sight of 
the individuals that you're dealing with and, you know, how best to be compassionate and take care of them. Um, even if, even if you're arresting them, it's still your job to be compassionate and take care of these people who have, you know, come into contact with you. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. I think that if, um, if half the time that was devoted to weapons training was spent on, you know, people skills training and emotional training and um, diversity and inclusion and equity training, then a lot of problems could be addressed. All right, John. Well, any final thoughts before we close out today? I just really, again, want to thank you for the opportunity to come on and chat with your listeners and also for the work you're doing, Evelyn, to, to help um, people um, learn more about um, politics in our county and our community, which is a very difficult area uh, to understand. So I just really appreciate the work you do for our community. Thank, thank you. you, John. I really appreciate that. Well, and I'll summarize by saying, here's what we've learned today, what I've learned. One, being on a potential impeachment list may not be relevant. You know, it may indicate just that there's some issues that due to ethical concerns and prosecutorial rules need to be disclosed to potential, you know, opposing counsel, but may not say anything about the fitness of the individual for the job. So for me, I'm going to discount that issue with regard to whether Cindy Fajardo is an appropriate candidate for the sheriff's race. Whether you choose to vote for her or not is a different matter, but I don't think that that potential impeachment list is the definitive answer. Um, but secondly, yeah, let's see what we can do to find out more information about these people and see if they'll answer some of our questions. And then we can do our due diligence to become better informed voters. That's all for today. So that's it for this episode of Crossing Division. If you have ideas for future episodes, we would love to hear them. This idea came to me from a, a person that I interact with a lot on Twitter, and he he was right. This was a good area to, to inquire into. So send you send uh, send your ideas to me. You can send them by email, uh, truetacoma at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at true underscore Tacoma. That's it for today. Thank you both. Thank you, Evelyn. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.